0: Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to I would be want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After a fairly sedate day, Dow dipped 52 points, S&P basically flat. NASDAQ advanced 0.07%. I need you to remember something. The best stocks, they're never cheap. They rarely come in. And when they do, you gotta be ready to pounce! Bye, bye, bye! The good news? Rarely is not the same as never. Every now and then, you do get meaningful pullbacks in truly high quality stocks. The bad news when those pullbacks happen, most people tend to be too afraid, scared to do any buying. And you know what? I can't blame them. Case in point, the stock of I think the world of Costco. I'm a proud Costco member. Gold star. My wife, Lisa, is an executive club member. She lords her status over me. Every time I shop there, I'm blown away by the low prices. In fact, I'm a two-cart kind of shopper. The bargains are so great, one cart's not enough to contain them all. We're like a train when we go there. We buy Costco's private label products. Why? Because they're usually better than nationally branded stuff. The place never fails to amaze. My trainer, Jim, and this week he bought a car from Costco. They gave him a better geese deal than anywhere else. Fish, beef, crab legs, glasses, diamond rings, zania shirts, you name it, go to Costco. But the stock? Hmm. Well, the stock, I've liked it for years. But I've always cautioned that it is on the expensive side. We used to own Costco, the stock, for my Chapel trust. But, you know, we sold it. We sold it simply because we had a huge gain. (laughs) And I didn't want to be greedy. Well, of course, everyone has a huge gain. Remember this. Bulls make money. Bears make money. But hogs, they get slaughtered. Since then, the stocks continue to climb. And I've never felt like we had a good opportunity to get back in because, well, I mean, you really don't get a lot of downturns here, do you? Today, though, Costco got hit. The first real price break in the better part of a year. Opportunity? It sure felt like an opportunity right until I saw why Costco got hit. Bernstein, good research firm, downgraded the stock from holds, in other words, they missed a lot of the move, to sell in a devastating piece that read so negatively that it could talk, that it could talk even the most optimistic bull out of buying this Costco dip. Have you had their crab dip? Anyway, listen to this litany of war about Costco. First, Bernstein's worried that the company may be approaching peak club counts, peak members per club, and peak revenue per member. Once Costco hits the saturation point, those numbers could start to deteriorate. Second, they mention a possible downturn catalyst, although they never really say Never really spell out what it is. uh, Costco does tend to thrive in a weaker economy. Third, potential competition. Finally, they argue Costco's expansion into China may not go as well as many people expect. Or as the piece was titled, cost, remember the symbol C-O-S-D, cost, rational exuberance, downgrading to underperform on valuation, U.S. saturation, competition, and a slow boat to China. (sighs) Even worse, their bearish logic is all backed up by charts and graphs showing how Costco's stock is, is, is so expensive versus historical valuation on pretty much any metric you care to name. That sounds very rigorous and very scary. While the analyst freely admits that he missed the big rally in the stock, he does not read right at the top. I felt that was very humble of him. Uh, it, he, Well, let's just say his logic sure looks compelling. There's just one eensy-teensy-weensy problem with this analysis. They make it sound as though Costco has very little control over its own destiny. And that's just not true. Costco is a best-of-breed retailer that has repeatedly reinvented itself. And if they need to reinvent themselves again, that's exactly what they'll do. As a close follower of the chain, I can remember when they initially decided that, that, that natural and organic was a fad. They didn't embrace it. Big mistake. And when management realized it, they went all in on natural and organic. They arguably have the best selection in the world now. I can remember when Costco failed to really embrace the internet. It seemed to me that they had contempt for digitalization. And they somehow believed that they wouldn't lose business to more digital-friendly competitors. They love brick and mortar. When they realized though they got it wrong, they pivoted and pivoted hard. And they become one of the best operators on the web. Some say the ultimate omnichannel retailer. Companies company's been judicious about raising the price of club memberships, but if they decide they need the money, I bet they could put through some substantial price increases without losing many customers at all. I I don't want to say any customers, but many customers. Oh, and as far as the the Chinese business is concerned, The slow boat to China. Costco recently opened a store in Shanghai, and it was so swamped with customers that there was barely room to push a cart. They actually had to close up early on the first day because they couldn't manage the huge crowds. Shoppers were literally fighting with each other over rotisserie chickens. Within days, management decided to put up a second one in in Shanghai. Uh, That sure doesn't seem like a troubled, cannibalized business to me. How about you? So what do you do with a stock like this one? First, you have to accept that Costco's shares will never be cheap. That's why I always tell you to pay up for best of breed. Second, I think the Bernstein downgrade could prove to be spot on, at least for the moment. See, this stock is up 41% year to date. So theoretically, I mean, it's not such a bad idea to say, well, wait a second, maybe take a little profit here. I'd give it a day or two more to make sure all the weak hands get shaken out. After that, though, I have no doubt that Costco's worth buying into a weakness. The stock may look expensive now, but it looked expensive five years ago, too. And it's more than doubled since then. That's why I'm unmoved by the valuation argument. Okay, let me give you another example. Mr. Softy, Microsoft. As of yesterday's close, this stock was trading at around 27 times earnings. It's been years and years since the last time I saw Microsoft trading at such an elevated level. But if you sold the stock based on the valuation worries, well, you felt like a dope last night when management gave us a gigantic dividend boost and a 40 billion dollar buyback. Even though the company's a trillion dollar company, oh, it rallied $2.55 today. I'm going to give you another one that I like. We had a caller about it the other day. Wendy's. Yeah, I love going to Wendy's. You know, my wife adores the Baconator. I mean, it's her favorite treat. If she's really in a good mood and's worked that really hard, she has the double Baconator. I think Todd Pentagor, the CEO, is fantastic, but the stock recently got hit. And I got to tell you, last night when, I, when the viewer called, I almost was like, "How did this happen? How could it go down this much so quickly?" Oh, the caller's name was Phyllis, just so you remember. Um, I myself just blanked out. But Regina Gilgan, my incredibly smart executive producer, who's got a really smart outfit on, told me this. Okay, anyway, what was Wendy's crime? Do you remember what Wendy's crime was? Defender of Phyllis? Do I remember their crime yeah, what did Wendy's do wrong? Breakfast? It. It decided to hire 20,000 people because of breakfast. They wanted to take a hit to earnings so that they can do more business later. What kind of countries this? you hire 20,000 people and your stock gets clobbered? That's wrong. Good grief. You know what it gave you? A great, Phyllis, it gave you a great entry point. They're investing in growth for heaven's sake. That's what I want. Look, I could list dozens of opportunities to buy, buy expensive but high quality stocks into weakness. In each case, it's easy to say what the Bernstein analyst said about Costco sell, sell, sell. But what's really the alternative here? If you're hunting for stocks that are cheap, they tend to be cheap for good reasons. Those reasons rarely change. One of the cheapest groups in the market right now, the automakers. Let me ask you, do you really want to invest in an ailing industry that's facing near-term problems like strikes and longer term existential threats like ride-sharing? Right, what about another group? That's the brick-and-mortar retail chains that fail the online or off-price tests. The only winners in this group, either offer incredible bargains, or have an incredible digital footprint. The rest, they've been total dogs. I think they're going to stay that way. Oh, you want cheap? How about the steel makers? Even with the tariffs, which is about what you'd expect with a slowing economy. The oil's the horror, the horror. Bottom line, the next time some analyst knocks down a best-of-breed stock with a cogent downgrade that's focused on valuation, you need to take advantage of that best-of-breed opportunity weakness, and you need to do some buying! Alright, let's take calls. Let's go to John in California. John!
1: Ah, Jim. You know we love you out here in Sacramento, 10th and P. Gang
0: is still oh, watching you. My man, my man, John. Right. My man, John. I'm an All old right. sack, though. I'm an old sack, though right now, mentally. <laughs> okay, what we got? I noticed my old my old buddy Warren Buffett who has a couple more dollars than me.
1: I see some news. Uh, uh, Kraft Heinz is in the news with somebody dumping some. You think he'll
0: buy it up or kind of lick his wounds and hang back? But you gotta, you, you, you do that. have a kind of a worst-of-breed situation there. And other than, other than Cheese Whiz, when I go to Geno's, which I'm going to try to do this weekend, there's, John, there's nothing there. Let's buy best-of-breed, not worst-of-breed. We'll always make more money. All right, look, Bernstein's valuation concerns for Costco, they're logical. It they may even be right for the moment. But history tells me that best-of-breed companies don't trade for cheap why should they take this dip as a buying opportunity not tomorrow let it sit for a couple days let the weekends blow out of it oh man buddy tonight it's behind verbo trivalgo and its namesake expedia brand i'm taking a trip with the ceo of this travel group giant and chipotle's up over 90 percent since the start of the year can it still add some spice to your portfolio or have you missed the move I'm giving my take. And 5% of the world's oil supply was taken offline earlier this week, but the market hardly even seemed to notice. I'll explain why, so stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: It's finally here. Untold Stories, Top Moments from Worlds brings you closer than ever to the best players, top moments, and biggest events from all the past League of Legends World Championships. The rise of Faker, the origin of Silver Scrapes, the greatest match ever, and Freak's Basement. We've got all these stories and so much more. Untold Stories, top moments from worlds. Listen for free exclusively on Spotify. Roughly two years ago, when Expedia Group's then-CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, left to go run Uber, Many investors decided it was time for them to leave too. The company had a couple of tough quarters after its departure, the stock got clobbered, flowing from more than $150 down to less than $100 in February of last year. But since then, the online travel play has been gradually working its way higher once again. When Expedia Group reported its latest quarter at the end of July, they knocked it out of the park and the stock caught fire. Then the whole market rolled over, and while Expedia rebounded over the last few days, it's still more than a few points off its 52 week highs. So, should we view this as a terrific buying opportunity? stock that is clearly trending higher, let's check in with Mark Okerstrom. He's the president CEO of Expedia Group, who took over from Dara two years ago to get a better sense of how things are going and how things are turning. Mr. Okerstrom, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, great. Now, um, everyone knows Expedia, but it's really Expedia Group. But I want people to understand that they they may think it's one company, but you've got a bunch of good companies. We've got a
1: ton of great companies. Uh, You You know, I think most of the leading brands, not all, but most of the leading brands in travel, whether it's Verbo in the alternative accommodation space, Expedia, Hotels.com, Travelocity, Orbitz, Cheap Tickets, Travago, you name it, we've got a host of incredible brands.
0: Well, let me ask you why. Why not just brand everything Expedia, which is such a good brand and everybody knows it.
1: Well, the fact of the matter is is that consumers love to have choice, and consumers have developed relationships with each of these beloved brands over the years. And what we've done is we brought them under one family, allowed them to share a lot of the great technological advantages that we've got, allowed them to access all of our great inventory, including great lodging inventory, all air, right. car, hotel, et cetera. And it gives us the scale advantages that we might have if we are one brand, but we're able to spread it across all these brands that have loyal customer following.
0: Uh, I wonder, at our end, at, at the DeBarry, and we're, you're kind of our wholesalers, so to speak. Yeah. You handle all our bookings. Do people understand that you actually are the backbone of a lot of corporate <laughs> bookings, that if you're going to be able to get, say, Merck's business or Selgene's yeah. business, you have to be affiliated with Expedia? Yeah, absolutely.
1: We've got uh, a, a big part of our business uh, and a growing part of our business is powering Uh, other other players out there we power a lot of the big traditional corporate travel players that might service that we've also got an incredible business called agencia which is about the fourth-largest corporate travel agency in the world that also allows uh, us to go into big corporates and service their travel management business.
0: Now, uh, we were huge fans of HomeAway, and we were because I love the product, and mm-hmm. I always felt it was undervalued. You guys obviously did, yes. too, but you branded it new. Yes. And is that something that people have been have a hard time to find? Because I know that, uh, you, that at one point you weren't that happy with how it's going, but you've died, you really kind of turned it around.
1: Yeah, so um we recently rebranded the whole thing to Vrbo, and the reason why we did it was that the original brand that was the essence of HomeAway yeah. was VRBO, Vacation Rentals by Owner, Right. a very authentic brand, uh, and as we thought about our international expansion plans, which are kind of the next phase of growth, we said, listen, let's pick a great brand that we can really back. Uh, it's Verbo. We had a little bit of hiccups as we transitioned to the Verbo brand, uh, but we're optimistic that over the long term, it's going to continue
0: to be a great growth brand into the future. Now, we always looked, when I was talking to the guys that I like very much at HomeAway, that there was this great disparity between the unicorn of Airbnb and, and uh, HomeAway. Now, yeah. Verba, I mean, is it, are, are these, when you see somebody like an Uber, yeah. or when you see somebody like a WeWork, do you think that people are now getting a little religion that when you're a public company, yeah. maybe you're cheaper than the private company, yeah. so to speak?
1: Well, listen, we've always strived to have a track record of delivering strong, healthy top-line growth and healthy profit My growth, growth. <laughs> we think that's good business <laughs> and you know as we look at a lot of these companies that have gone uh, public recently right. nice top line growth a little bit shy on the profitability right. And listen, I think at some point investors, what do they want? They want to see that cash flow flowing. And we built a great company that produces great free cash flow, and we're pretty proud of it.
0: In one of the conference calls, it was really terrific, you talked about how people see the planes full, and people know that the hotels are full. So, therefore, are we doing well? Yes. I think those are signs also that the consumer's going yeah. places.
1: Yeah, listen, I think consumer confidence still uh, remains pretty high. You've got this secular shift from things to experiences right. that is buoyant travel. From what we can see, if you look on a global basis, I mean, travel is just going to continue to go up, up, and up, and we're absolutely thrilled to be at the center but of it, it all. It is
0: the essence of what happens when you go from a lower wealth to a middle wealth, right? That's that's when you go on a plane. Absolutely.
1: What do people do when they get a little bit extra money in their pocket? They say, listen, let's go and explore the world. I did
0: when I was growing up. Same. I'm sure you did, <laughs> Oh, no, absolutely. So, when we read these stories, uh, downbeat stories about tariffs and uh, yesterday, that I know that Chief Powell is struggling because he doesn't want to cut rates. It feels like that because he knows the consumer's doing well. I mean, if he looks at Expedia, should he be thinking that the consumer's doing well, or should he be thinking that Expedia's got inflation under control yeah. because of the bargains they offer?
1: Well, I think you look at that and say Expedia is doing well. I mean, the you know you continue to see good strength and average daily rates and average ticket prices. Yeah. We continue to see spending up. Room nights are growing. Gross bookings are up. It seems very healthy uh, to us, and I think that's
0: certainly been the trend year to date. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at, at, at your company and I think, well, you are the best barometer of how we're doing. And that it's really hard that we're, we're really a bifurcated economy. Industrial, I mean, I was working some of the steel companies. They're yeah. doing terribly. Yeah. But the consumer, you seem to be more levered to job growth, which is really solid.
1: Yeah, listen, I think when consumers have got money in their pocket, again, they want to travel, and Expedia's
0: at the center of travel. Yeah. Now, hotels, when you do hotels.com, you have a winning loyalty program. What does that yeah. mean? Because I think that everyone tells me that yours is the best and I should be a <laughs> member. It's incredible. Why is it incredible? It's simple. Stay 10
1: nights, get one free. There's no points to worry about. It's not really confusing. You stay 10 nights, you get one free. And importantly, you can stay anywhere. You don't have to pick one certain hotel chain over another. Any of our properties on Hotels.com, you can stay at using your points. And
0: you just did two really important deals, one with with one of the biggest airlines, United, and the other with Marriott. What will those mean for your bottom line? Well, listen, I think they're both very positive
1: deals. Uh, United deal, this is something that for us is, we think, going to make us economically better off. I think it's a great deal for them. And same with Marriott. I mean, we've been pretty clear of the course of the last couple of years that we have got our prices in the right spot. We're not in the business of reducing our margins. And the Marriott deal for us, we got very creative on the ways that we do business together. But net-net, it's basically a, a piece of business that's going to be accretive to our business. And one last
0: thing. I, I've been thinking that of the companies that do have some degree of pricing yeah. power because of demand and travel. You guys are, are been, been able to, in places, raise price if you have to. Yeah.
1: Well, what we've done is we've taken a, a pretty thoughtful approach to it, which is we've got low basic pricing right we can then allow you to upsell into things like having your inventory available in our packages product if you need more demand even at that low basic pricing you can pay more on advertising products or just give us more margin and rise up in the search results and that's been something that's been pretty darn successful.
0: It's obvious that advertising in these big search companies really does make money for you.
1: Well absolutely advertising is a big piece of it it has been one of our largest uh, growing revenue sources and Importantly, if you want to target travelers, have to where do you go?
0: No, I know. Where I, the travelers are it's Expedia. I, uh, well, it's fine. When they do the antitrust, they're going to have to go up the hill and say, listen, <laughs> the customers have no choice. They have to advertise with us. It's where they
1: are. Well... It's a very competitive industry, as always, yes. but we do have a lot of travelers who are shopping around
0: on a careful, Expedia. you may have to testify, talk about how good they're doing. That is Mark Okers from the CEO of Expedia Group. You know, we've liked this one, I, literally, since it came public. And we also like Tom away, now Verbo, bur, You got it. Okay, man, buddy's back into the break.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV.
0: Every year, right about this time, money managers do the same thing. They start doubling down on their best performers. Then they tend to hold those stocks through the end of the year. They like to show that they're winning. Sometimes the process doesn't pan out. Last year, the Fed threw a monkey wrench into the gears, caused a market-wide meltdown. But usually when hedge funds and mutual funds anoint, that's the word I like to use, their favorite winners, going into the fourth quarter, those stocks keep winning until the big boys take profits in January. Which brings us to the big question. Who's most likely to be anointed by Wall Street here? When you look at the S&P 500, one name stands out above all others, and it is a surprising one. You know who's leading the whole... Well, it's not really that shocking. You know who's leading the whole index? Chipotle! Do you know that this is up more than 90% for the year? In fact, Chipotle's running away with it. The The next closest competitor is only up 75%. Wow! It's like Secretariat. Don't get me wrong. I love Chipotle, the company, and I've been pounding the table on Chipotle, stock, for years. Ever since they got past those food safety issues from a few years ago and then poached Brian Nickel from Taco Bell, bringing him in as the new CEO, well, I have been all in. But, jeez, even I didn't expect a 90%-plus gain. That's quite a run, especially for a restaurant stock. So how the heck did Chipotle become the best performer in the S&P 500? And more importantly, can it keep climbing, especially after Darden reported a number today that a lot of people thought was suboptimal? you got to remember, until the big health scares three years ago, this was consistently one of the hottest growth stocks around. When McDonald's spun off Chipotle in 2006, that's right, McDonald's owned it, it wasn't even a $50 stock. By the time it peaked three years ago, it was a $750 stock, all thanks to great food, terrific concept, and a turbocharged growth story. But then there were all those cases of E. coli, norovirus spate of food safety incidents near the end of 2015, and they sent the stock into a tailspin. Now, I always tell you, it takes about 18 months for the American public to forget— or get over this kind of health care scare. I mean, that's the collective consciousness. They forget the scare 18 months later. Now, we've seen it over and over and over again. We had it with Taco Bell. We had it with Jack in the Box. People have short memories. Unfortunately, just as Chipotle was getting over the first set of health scares, they had some more in the summer of 2017. Once again, the stock went into free fall, ultimately bottoming at $247 in February of last year. Now it's more than tripled from those levels. Now, some of that is simply because of the 18-month rule. Chipotle lapped the latest food scares, and that's allowed their same-store sales numbers to surge. But I think a lot of it comes down to leadership. The board brought in Brian Nichols as the new CEO in February of 2018, and this stock has not looked back since then. Previously, he had been the CEO of Taco Bell. He was amazing there. He's had fabulous strides at modernizing the brand, bringing new traffic. Incredibly funny campaigns. Still, there was a ton of skepticism at the time. And Chipotle and Taco Bell, they might be both quick-serve Tex-Mex chains. But there's a world of difference between the high-end Chipotle and the cheap-processed Taco Bell. And believe me, the Chipotle guys always let you know that. Turns out the skeptics were dead wrong. Brian has engineered a magnificent turnaround. We've been over a lot of this before, so I'm just going to give you some of the highlights. First, he partnered with DoorDash, a private company, to roll out a delivery program at 1,500 locations. The impact was immediate. Second, under Brian's leadership, Chipotle embraced digitization. Like many popular chains, these guys always had a throughput problem. They could only process so many people at once. So you often spend a lot of time waiting in line. Then you get angry, then you go to another chain. To solve that, the company started taking online orders, including mobile. They created a loyalty program to bring in more traffic. Can you believe how far behind these guys were? Third, Brian modernized the stores, giving them a better look. Remodeling is a great way to bring back customers who were scared off by the food safety incidents. What else? The company's been smart about tailoring its marketing to millennials. Over the past few years, Chipotle steadily released a series of new menu items, including lots of limited-time offerings, something else that brings in a lot of traffic. Now, a year ago was the chorizo. In January, they rolled out lifestyle bowls designed for people on specific diets, paleo, keto, double protein. And just today, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this piece, just today, Chipotle launched the holy grail of limited-time offerings. Behold the carne asada. Believe me, it tastes as good as it looks. I almost went for seconds. Now, the result of all these changes, Chipotle's been putting up some phenomenal numbers. 18 months ago, they were tracking up low single-digit same-store sales. The latest quarter, they gave you 10% same-store. 10%! Handily beating the 8.3% number that the analysts were looking for. How about the earnings? It's like Chipotle's back to the old pre-health scare self, beating the earnings estimates quarter after quarter. In fact, so far this year, some of the beats have been truly spectacular. Looking back, the analysts who follow this thing severely underestimated Brian Nichols' ability to turn things around and restore Chipotle to its rightful place in the, in the gross stock hierarchy and the speed with which he could do it. As soon as the stock started getting some lift earlier this year, many of the analysts downgraded the stock and headed for the exits. Hey. You know, I guess once (laughs) to burn twice shy. They couldn't believe that the new Chipotle had put its message behind it, its missteps behind it, and had a brand new message. They couldn't believe it. The company had another food safety issue last summer. But you know what? Brian Nichols retrained his entire workforce to prevent future health scares. And this time, it only took six months for the customers to start coming back not 18 They heard about the new Keto Bowls in January, and all was forgiven. The analysts didn't see that coming either. That's one reason the company's been able to deliver so many monster upside surprises, because the estimates were just way too low. Now though, that that's changed. The analysts have been dragged kicking and screaming back to a bullishness. Their upgrades fueled the most recent leg of the stock's rally. These days, it's hard to find a piece of research that's critical of Chipotle. I mean, maybe that's actually a bad thing. When everybody loves a stock, it limits your potential upside. The biggest winners are typically surrounded by skeptics, people who refuse to believe. Gradually, those who, those bears become bulls. That's how stocks go higher. I'm a little worried, actually it's probably the only fly of the ointment for Chipotle that maybe there are too many bulls and not enough bears. So what do we do with Chipotle now? If you don't already own the stock, it's no longer cheap, trading at 48 times next year's earnings estimates. I feel like you're chasing it if you're trying to buy it up here. However, if you want to own Chipotle as a long-term investment, you have my blessing to start building a position here as long as you wait for a pullback before you add to that position. It's you know what I'm it's kind of like a, a Costco, which I talked about at the top of the show. Best of breed is never cheap. That's why I wouldn't be surprised that Chipotle can keep climbing through the end of the year. When they report again in about a month, they'll be up against easy comparisons. As long as this market doesn't turn against the growth stocks again, I think there's more upside. I think it's likely, even with that labor lawsuit in New York City that caused the stock to get slammed down 5%. Geez, some people skittish. But the comparisons will get a lot more difficult next year when they'll be lapping quarters with double-digit same-store sales growth. That's why it's a mistake to buy all at once. I think you need to come at this one carefully. You wait for a dip, perhaps to the 700s, and then you pounce on the rest. The bottom line, Chipotle's the biggest winner in the S&P 500. Because it deserves to be. Because Brian Nickel, the CEO, has done a tremendous job of breathing new life into a tarnished but still terrific concept. So pray for a pullback that gives you a chance to do some real buying here. Although it's going to take a monster-wide market sell-off in order to be able to get that pullback. And you know what? I doubt you'll get it. Hey, let's go to Carrie in Pennsylvania. Carrie! Thanks for taking my call, Jim. Of course, Carrie. My stock is B&G Foods, ticker symbol BGS. It's got a notoriously high BIG yield. Is the dividend safe? And what is your opinion of the stock? I've lost faith in the stock, Carry. I've lost faith. Too many misses. Not sure of what's really going on there. Company is way on the QT. I'm going to say Ixnay b and I need to go to Dan in Maryland. Dan!
1: Jim? You recently recommended Tyson as a chicken supplier to the sandwich boom. Yes. But there are some pure plays in foul lower in the pecking order, like Sanderson Farms. Is it worth flocking to, or is Sanderson not up to scratch?
0: No, Sanders is good. It, it, it is. It, it's just a lot more expensive than Tyson. Now, as the, one of the themes of tonight's show is, it best to breed. You have to pay more, and Sanders is a very, very good company. Tyson's much more of a commodity play. But at 15 times earnings, which is half of what of what uh, of Sanderson Farms is, I like it. Notice after they reported that little bit of mix up with commodity, can't, the stock got hit and came right back. That's the hallmark of an inexpensive stock that wants to go higher. Vince in Nebraska. Vince! Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? Good. Hey, you and I spoke about uh, three weeks ago about Red
1: Robin Gourmet Burger. At that time, you recommended that since some analyst from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, had downgraded the stock to underperform to stay away from that. And at that time, the stock had dropped on on that date about $30 a share. Right. Value line has projected in the three to five years at 50 to 75, Vintage Capital, an activist investor, took an 11% position to agitate for changes and offered a $40 hostile bid that the company turned down. Uh, the stock went to $35 a share after right. we spoke, and it's at $34.94 today and a close. If you endorse Elliott's management's activist investor role in AT&T, why not RRGB now?
0: Because I, I, I think that because in the end the company is just not that great a company. I don't know how you make it into a great company. I mean, you're having you have to hope that they're putting it up for sale. That's not what they want to do. And I don't like to play hope. I'd rather own high quality and bet that the high quality wins. I'd rather own Chipotle. I'd rather own McDonald's. I would rather own Wendy's. I would rather own, well, geez, Darden, even down five today off of what seemed like a not great quarter. All right. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Brian Nichols' turnaround strategy at Chipotle has been so successful that even the bears are hibernating. If you want in on this S&P winner, remember the best stock in the S&P 500, build your position slowly. Wait for a lower entry point to buy the rest, maybe in the 700s. What's more mad money in. what the heck's happening in the oil complex. I'm offering the crude reality. We always like to use that term here. Then, does your portfolio have what it takes to fight the unknowns in this market? I'll be the judge of that. Let me play M.I. Diversify. And all calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. As I said at the top of the show, best-of-breed is always worth it. But it's not always the best strategy if you don't have a diversified portfolio of best-of-breed players. Hey, that's why we play Am I Diversified. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings, and I tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough. Maybe you need to mix it up a little. First up, we have a tweet from turrybaker 1969 And he says, at Mad Money on CBC, Cramer, hashtag Am I Diversified. Apple, Amazon, Disney. CVS, and Starbucks. (laughs) Okay, let's look at this. Starbucks, major restaurant chain, Walt Disney Entertainment, CVS. This is a, a combination of healthcare, retail. Amazon, we'll call that pure let's call it Pure Retail and Apple Technology. So we have technology, we have restaurant, we've got entertainment, we've got health care, and we've got online retail. And I'm telling you, I love that portfolio. Action alert, action alert, action alert, action alert. Yes, that person's clearly a member of my club. Let's go to Susan in Florida. Susan! Bruyel, Mr. Kramer from Delray Beach. I love Delray Beach. How gorgeous is that? Let's go to work.
1: Beautiful. It's an honor to be able to thank you for all you do to educate oh, yeah. us, home gamers. Your knowledge and integrity are unmatched. So. Woo!
0: Thank you so My- much, man. I, I never let you down. <laughs> oh, you won't. I know you won't. You. My stocks are Microsoft, AT&T, Apple,
1: Home Depot, and Amazon. Am I diversified?
0: All right, some are going to criticize me for this, because I am not going to say you have to sell one or these others. I'm not going to say that you neither have to sell Microsoft for Apple because they don't trade together. They haven't traded together for years. And that's what I'm looking for is trade together factor. ATT, you got Elliot in there making changes. I like that a lot. Home Depot, it just got downgraded the other day by someone. That person was off his mind or her mind. And then Amazon's a retailer. So you have retailer, tech, tech. Uh, eh, t- oh, man, I'm really going to get criticized for this. But Amazon doesn't trade with Home Depot either. You have to recognize that I think about whether they trade together more than necessarily they're with their sector. So Amazon does not trade with Home Depot, so I'm okay with that. Telco, tech, tech, but we distinguish that, and I think we're fine. I know close students of the show would say, I have to tell her to sell Amazon. I'm not doing that. Let's go to Sally in New York. Sally! Hi, Jim. Love your show. Thanks for all
1: the tips over the years. Oh, thank um, you, so. <laughs> I wanted to see if my portfolio was diversified and okay. here is a stock. Um Spirit Airlines, Canopy Growth, uh, Planet Fitness, Target and Facebook. Thank you.
0: This is tough. This is tough. Well, Target's a fabulous retailer. I'm totally cool with that. Save is okay as an airline. I don't like airline stocks. Planet Fitness, good retail. Let's call it retail. But Canopy has just been so disappointing, even though it's not, you know, and you can say, look, cannabis, retail, airline, retail. You can make this so that it's gymnasium. I don't know if you want to say it's athletic and Facebook's fine. I, and I thought that Mark Zuckerberg did quite well today, just for the record. OK, so uh, it's, it's troubling. I can't. Canopy growth can't be on right now. I, I have to wait to see the new CEO. And I know that I've been recommending it, but I just feel this industry—I got it. This company's in flux. Let's put it that way. So let's see: cannabis, airline, retail, tech, and fitness, and we're okay. I'm sorry to have been to been so equivocal on canopy, but the stock was down big today, and I don't know why. Let's go to Mark in Illinois. Mark, Jim Kramer. yes. Here's a two-two and O, soon to be three and O. Cowboys, booyah to you. Get out of my face. Hey, All right, first go ahead. time, long time here. Yeah. First time, long time, and also Action Alerts uh, subscriber. Here are my five stars. Oh, don't try to win me over Chicago. that stuff. Okay, go ahead. Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Ooh, I like that one. CVS. Apple.
1: Abbott Labs. And Twilio. Jim. I- Am I diversified?
0: Well, first of all, I am not going to make this very clear. Zeke is on my fantasy team, so who am I to say I don't like the Cowboys, right? I mean, Zeke, and I'm also playing Randall Cobb this weekend. Randall Cobb! Okay, Twilio technology upgraded today by Morgan Stanley. I loved it. CVS, much more of a healthcare company than a drugstore chain these days. CME, the ultimate fintech stock. Abbott Labs, a device company. Apple technology, technology, device, fintech, healthcare, tech. Bingo. I'm letting that go. I not know people were saying, "Well, hold it, Jim, Jim. Apple trades on its own." Okay, it's like its own sector. Randall Cobb. All right. I love our players tonight. They all got some real horse sense. I say stick with Kramer. It is time. It's time to light the. It goes one of them. It's in my belt. It's in my belt. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Daddy? Time for the lighting round. I'm going to start with Helen. It's not going on. Helen. How do you do, Jim? I'm calling you from Aiken, South Carolina. We're known for all the horses down here. Horses. Well, there you go. I always try to figure out what the mascot is. Now I know. What's up? Well, my question is about DocuSign. How is it that that company. Do they have anything new in the pipeline? How can they make a big business it is the ultimate utility. And I think that what happens, I'm not kidding, is people use it and they love it. And Adobe should have bought them. And I've got to tell you, Adobe bought them. I think the stock will be flying. Adobe actually coming back. Let's go to Rick in Pennsylvania. Rick. Hello. uh Hello. uh, I would like to know uh, what your opinion is on Western Digital Corporation. See, why buy Western Digital when you can buy Micron, which I think has more game? I think Micron is less expensive, and Micron has doesn't have to have drives. I don't want drives. Let's go to Randy in California. Randy! Oh, yeah, Dr. Kramer. Oh, and yeah. i do one more time for uh, sharing your knowledge. Oh, thanks a lot, man. Thank you.
1: You bet. Hey, I'd like to revisit a stock I talked with you about, oh, 10 months ago. It's C-WEN, Clearway Energy.
0: Yes, yield, you know, about 4% uh, yield. I like, clear, I like uh, renewable energy. I think it's a good company. I mean, I don't, is it, it's a good company. And they're, I think they're in Jersey. We should get them on. Let's go to Nick in Michigan. Nick. Jim, thank you for taking my call. i got a few University of Michigan students on the phone here. go. Here we them. go. Yeah. My 21-year-old sister. Yeah, still blue. My 21-year-old sister and all of her friends are obsessed with Revolve and convinced me to stock back in June. In the house I like Revolve, I like Etsy, okay? And I think both of them are good. Etsy upgraded tonight. And by the way, every kid has cut the cord. Not all right, let's go to Steven in Pennsylvania. Please, Steven! <laughs> How you doing, Jim? I'm having a pretty good day. A little worried about Detroit, but that's okay. I'll get over it. What's going on? <laughs> Not too much. I, I had interest in AT&T. I listened to your show,
1: and you said it's going to be a $60 stock. And uh, what I'm wondering is, you didn't say when to buy it. Right when, now. You buy it right buy now. It? You got Elliot in
0: there. Those guys are incredibly good. I have followed everything they've done. I've made chapter and verse. I've interviewed Paul Singer. I think ATT is going to come and do what they want because they are so darn smart. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: This weekend, we had the biggest oil shock in over a decade. Half of Saudi Arabia's production taken out like it was nothing. Cheap drones did it. But now, only a few days later, it, oil's a corner again. Natural gas is a corner. The whole complex is becoming uninvestable right before our very eyes. And that is the lesson of this week. The attack on Saudi Arabia initially caused the price of crude to blip up from the mid-50s to the mid-60s. Now it's back to 58. Is there never been an attack at all. When you look at the five year West Texas forward curve, which is the way to really judge pricing, what you can pay for it out a few years, it barely budged. It was at $50 before the drone strike. In response, it went to 52 That's it. Why can't the oil complex get any lift? You've really got a combination of powerful forces holding it back, from conservation efforts to the slowing economy to the battleful supply of crude in the Permian Basin, a vast repository of oil in West Texas that's pushing American production up from 12 million barrels a day to 17 million in a not-too-distant future. Do you know that a decade ago was at 5 million? The market simply can't handle all that new supply from America! which is why oil is so darn cheap in the out years. Much of the oil and gas in the Permian has been effectively trapped by a lack of pipelines. But recently, new pipe has been completed, and now they can bring that oil and that natural gas right to the marketplace. And that's the main reason why the attack on Saudi Arabia barely registered with the oil market for more than a day. I mean, sooner or later, that Permian is going to replace their supply. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Earlier this week, San Jose, California, the 10th largest city in America, banned natural gas in most new residential buildings beginning as early as next year. They're trying to crack down on greenhouse emissions and natural gas is a huge methane spewer. San Jose is not the first city to do it. It's just the largest. Now, this barely noticed news is huge for the complex. It tells us the future now belongs to renewable fuels. Less than a decade ago, we had major players in the industry like the late Aubrey McLennan of Chesapeake Energy or the recently deceased Boone Pickens who'd, pick natural, who'd push natural gas as a cheaper, cleaner bridge fuel than coal or oil. Something that could be even used to power cars and trucks. But the bridge fuel was a bridge too far. It didn't happen. Natural gas vehicles never really caught on. Meanwhile, even though utilities are phasing out coal, they're reluctant to build new natural gas plants when they can build solar or wind instead. By the way, that's a major reason why GE's power division is still struggling. The older money managers who are used to Middle East shocks pushing prices up dramatically, well, they live in hope that the energy complex will make a comeback. Relative to the stock market, it's about as low as it's ever been. Many oil and oil service stocks are now trading well below where they were when crude was at twenty six bucks, half of where it is. Why? I have a theory. Younger portfolio managers believe that oil and gas are the new coal. Despite the Saudi fires, despite a president who wants to give car companies a break to relax fuel efficiency standards, these stocks have become pariahs. If you take climate change seriously, and most younger people do, including younger portfolio managers, then it's hard to believe in the long-term health of this industry. My charitable trust, which you can follow along at ActionAlertsPlus.com, join the club. Well, this week took a brutal loss on the stock of slumberjay. That's one of the best companies on Earth. It's the deal the oil service space. I can't believe we sold the stock so much lower than where it was trading when oil was at half of these levels. But after a major supply shock failed to move the forward curve, we simply can't expect the oil companies to be aggressive long-term. And that's exactly what you need if you're relying on an oil service company to make your money. If you want any oils, here's my advice. I would scale back on them. If they didn't move with the Middle East burning, just imagine how they'll hold up When something bad happens to them, like a slower economy. So forget the oil patch, at least for the near future. If it didn't have a sustained move this week, I don't know when it will. Stick with Quake. quality stock that I didn't mention. got to interview David Taylor today, CEO of Procter & Gamble. I think they are firing on all cylinders. Look for that one on a discount. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I'm starting to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow!
1: 1980s New York, five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.